theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron. The other host joining me is Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, before we start today's episode, we do have a quick announcement to make. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by joining our Patreon. For just $5 a month, enjoy weekly Patreon-exclusive episodes and access to our extensive back catalog of over 195 Patreon episodes that are all ad-free. You can now sign up to our Patreon via Spotify by going to our podcast on the Spotify app and clicking on the banner that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Now, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. Also, remember, our content is entirely human-made, no AI was involved or harmed in the process. And that is the end of the announcements. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In 2009, Peruvian police officers held a press conference making various claims that shocked the world. For the past 30 years, an international criminal group has been killing individuals, harvesting their fat, and selling it to top cosmetic companies around the world. In this exploration, we embark on a journey into the depths of a nightmare one that leaves us pondering the moral cost of our insatiable quest for perfection. Was this grotesque enterprise driven solely by the pursuit of profit, or were there deeper, more sinister motivations lurking behind these gruesome deeds? This is Human Fat Harvesting. So a few weeks ago, as Dan and I were scouring the interwebs, searching for new and interesting stories to uncover, we ended up coming across a news article from 2009. Now, this article led us down an entire rabbit hole that we ended up researching for weeks. And of course, that research ended up becoming today's episode topic. So with that being said, we are first going to talk about the article and then jump into the strange and unsettling things that we uncovered. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So like Aaron stated, we stumbled upon an article a few weeks ago. This article was published on November 20th, 2009 by CBS News. In this article, it discusses a press conference that took place in Lima, Peru, the day prior on November 19th, 2009. Which, by the way, Peru is a country in South America, so just imagine you are standing in the middle of the United States, 
Just travel south, past Mexico, you go past Guatemala, past Costa Rica, and then you'll hit South America. Now, the country of Peru is located on the left coastline of South America. The country extends eastward and is home to a section of the Amazon rainforest, as well as Machu Picchu, which is an ancient Incan city. Now, like I stated, Peru has a long coastline, and it is there where the capital and largest city is located, Lima. And that press conference that happened in 2009 that we are talking about today, that is where it is being held. So now that you have a mental picture of where that is located, let's get back to talking about the press conference. All right, so this press conference that was being held in Lima was put together by the Peruvian police. They all wanted the news stations in the area to be at this conference because they had something important that they wanted to share with everyone. Shortly after the press conference started, Colonel Jorge Mija, who works for the police and is the chief of Peru's anti-kidnapping department, walked up to the podium. As the colonel made it to the podium, other police officers in attendance began pulling objects out of a white baggie and then placing them on top of a table near the colonel. These objects were multiple plastic bottles that contained an off-colored, thick substance, along with multiple sticks of what looked like dynamite, and then a single photograph of a human head that looked like it was rotting. As the news reporters started photographing the objects, the colonel began his speech. The colonel stated that for over 30 years, there has been a gang in the Peruvian jungle that has been killing people and draining fat from their corpses. The gang collects this fat and then sells it on the black market for use in various cosmetics. In 2009, at least 60 people were listed missing in the area where the gang operated. All 60 of these individuals were killed and harvested for their fat. The colonel then stated that this discovery took place around four months ago in August of 2009, the Peruvian police had received a tip from an anonymous individual that people were being killed in the jungle for their fat to be taken and sold in Lima. The police started investigating this tip, and then on November 3rd, they arrested Serapio Marcos Veramendi and Nadina Estelia at a Lima bus station. Both Serapio and Adinia were carrying soda bottles that contained an odd-looking substance inside of them. After their arrest, they were both questioned, and both of them stated that the liquid inside of the soda bottles that they were carrying was human fat. The bottles belonged to a gang, and they were just transporting and selling these bottles. The police asked how much they were selling them for, and they stated that each liter of human fat sells for $15,000 and that the going rate for human fat was around $60,000 a gallon. After a little more questioning, they ended up giving up names of other individuals involved. One of those individuals that was named was 29-year-old Elmer Singundo. Three days later, Elmer was arrested at the same bus stop as the other two individuals, and the police questioned him. Elmer told the police that he worked for a gang that was led by Hilario Sudina. This gang has been killing people to extract human fat. Elmer then went on to explain how the entire operation worked. To lure individuals into the jungle, the gang promises them a job. Once in the jungle, the gang then kills the individual, cuts off their head, arms, and legs. 
the organs of this individual are then removed, and the empty torso is suspended in the air with various hooks. A large tub and multiple candles are placed below the suspended torso. These candles warm the torso, rendering the fat which drips into the tub below. This fat is collected and packed into soda bottles, given the transporters who then take it to Peru's capital, Lima. In Lima, these transporters meet up with a middleman who then purchases the fat and then sells it to cosmetic companies in Europe. Elmer ended his statement by telling the police officials that they had been doing this, as in the gang, for over three decades. Also, they were not the only gang that was doing such killings. After his statement, Elmer led the police to a coca-growing valley where the individuals were killed and the bodies were harvested for fat. This is where the police found multiple human remains that were rotting. The colonel then stated that on the table next to him, that photograph, it is one of the rotting heads that they had discovered. Also, those bottles sitting on the table were the exact ones that they had recovered. They tested the contents of the bottle, and it was indeed human fat. The colonel ended the press conference by saying that three individuals were all charged with homicide, criminal conspiracy, illegal firearms possession, and drug trafficking. And the police are still searching for the leader of the gang, Hilario, as well as the alleged buyers of the fat. So that was the end of the press conference. Now, CBS News stated at the bottom of this article that they had contacted various medical experts. These medical experts stated that they doubt a major international market exists for human fat. But they did say that there is a small market for human fat extracts, which keeps the skin supple. And that's pretty much the end of the article. Now, with the medical experts stating what they did at the end, it pretty much casted a big shadow of doubt over what the Peruvian police were stating. And because of that, this news article and press conference hardly got any coverage at all. However, we decided to dig deeper into it. And when you look at the history of human fat and its uses, along with its modern-day uses, it pretty much completely contradicts what the quote-unquote medical experts were saying in that article. Now, before we get into discussing the modern-day uses of human fat, let's first talk a little bit about the history of human fat harvesting. So, we decided to question multiple history professors at the University of Texas, dove into a bunch of history books for hours upon hours, and even got kicked out of the Austin Library for trying to recreate some of these experiments involving fat. That's a true story. Yeah, they didn't like We're that. We're lifetime banned now. Thanks a lot. So needless to say, though, we left no stone unturned when it came to researching this. And what we uncovered was a long history of humans using fat from other humans for various purposes. Now, in the 16th and 17th centuries, the use of human fat was extremely popular in the medical field for various purposes. For example, in 1543, physician Andreas Vesalius held a class for medical students and they began studying human bodies. In this class, the students began dissecting human bodies that had passed away. During the dissection, Andreas told the students that he wanted them to study the skeleton of the bodies. So he instructed the students to extract the bones of the individual and boil them. However, Andreas emphasized to the students that when they boiled the bones, that they must carefully collect the layer of fat. A student asked why? And Andreas stated that 
human fat is very efficient in getting rid of scars as well as promoting the growth of nerves and tendons. And we need to collect that shit. He didn't say that in part, but I could imagine he was thinking it. As strange as this might sound, at the time, human fat was widely considered to be effective in healing wounds. Now, how these doctors and other medical officials got human fat to use on patients, well, that was through harvesting it from the recently deceased, usually after a large battle. For example, one of these battles was the Siege of Ostend, which it spelled O-S-T-E-N-D, and that took place in 1601. And if you don't know of this siege, that's okay. We'll do our best to try and explain it as quickly and easily as possible. So to understand the Siege of Ostend, we first need to discuss the 80-Year War. However, we don't have time to go into full detail about the entire 80-Year War, so Aaron is going to sum it up for us really quickly. Welcome to my history class, bitch. Gather around and sit down, all right? Okay. So to understand the 80-Year War, we need to go back to the 1500s. Around this time, the Spanish Empire started capturing a bunch of countries and shit. Also, the Spanish Empire had colonies in Mexico and Peru. Now, these colonies were producing them a lot of gold and silver. In total, it was around 70% of the world's gold and silver, which of course made the Spanish Empire super rich. So with this big-ass cash flow, the Spanish Empire continued to take over additional countries. Now, something important to remember is that a lot of these countries that were being taken over, they had a large non-Catholic population. The Spanish Empire didn't care, though. They said, We rule your bitch ass now, and guess what? We're going to enforce Roman Catholicism on all you devil-worshipping bitches. Of course, the citizens of these countries didn't like that. Also, at this same time, the Spanish Empire's cash flow, it started dwindling down. And that was due to a lot of complicated things happening with the economy, along with the Spanish Empire spending too much on various wars and conquests. So to sum it up, the Spanish Empire needed to get more money. So they decided to raise taxes on these countries as well. Now, it was the combination of these two factors, of forced religious beliefs and high taxes, that caused a lot of these countries that were being ruled by the Spanish Empire to revolt against them. Now, this revolt lasted from 1568 to 1648, and it was called the 80-Year War because it lasted for 80 years. Well, there you have it. Thank you for that explanation, Aaron. You're welcome. So like Aaron stated, the 80-Year War was between 1568 to 1648, and it was during this period that the Siege of Ostend what we originally were talking about took place. So this siege took place between 1601 to 1604. Now, before this big-ass battle took place, this city, it was quiet, and it was just a plain old nice fishing village, and it had around 3,000 people in it. Now, something unique about this city is that it was positioned along the North Sea, making it accessible to Deutsch Sea Power. Between 1583 and 1590, the city was fortified by the Dutch and English, making it a major military port. Also, something very important to mention is that this city of Ostend, unlike many other places in the Netherlands, had never been taken by the Spanish. However, that all changed. In 1601, Spain said, F*** it, 
and decided that it was time for them to try and take this city over. So for the next three years, the Dutch were able to hold off the Spanish. However, in 1604, it was eventually captured, and by that point, the city was completely destroyed. Now, this siege of Ostend was one of the longest, bloodiest sieges in world history. More than 100,000 people were killed, wounded, or died due to disease during the siege. Which, by the way, this war was one of the main reasons why the Spanish Empire went bankrupt. Now, why did we mention this battle? Well, like we stated, doctors and other medical officials were able to get human fat to use on their patients through harvesting it from the recently deceased, usually after a long battle. And one of the most notable occasions was in October of 1601 in the Battle of Ostend. During this battle, Dutch surgeons snuck into the battlefield and returned with bags full of human fat. They would use this human fat to treat their own soldiers' wounds. Now, around the same time period, fat was also being harvested from criminals who had been executed. This fat was used by doctors to treat sprains, broken bones, sciatica, and arthritis. Also, a little knowledge nugget for you here, but the sweat of a dead person was often collected and used to treat hemorrhoids. So you would take the sweat of a dead person and put it on your hemorrhoids? How would that treat it? Who would think walking through a battlefield, oh, there's sweat of a dead man. Let me rub that right on my ass. Let me rub that on my butthole, man. It sure is itchy and I got that hemorrhoid down there. I know what will cure it. A sweat of a dead person. Let me wipe it on thy anus. F***ed up individuals in this world, man. God damn. Do you think they did it right there on the battlefield? <laughs> like, what is that person doing? He's taking his shit. No, he's not. Wait, did he just give that soldier a dirty Sanchez? He must be tanning his butthole. All right. So, of course, with all of these doctors using human fat for various treatments, the demand for it rose dramatically. And like we stated, the majority of this fat came from dead soldiers or even criminals who had been executed. Now, executioners across various cities began harvesting the fat from the people that they had executed and then started selling it to various doctors by the pounds. Little side hustle. Yeah. Coincidentally, the rate of executions during this period increased, and many of the criminals who were about to be executed demanded that their fat not be harvested. Now, why did the criminals care if their fat was harvested? They were going to be dead after all. I mean, so it's not like they needed it. Well, there was a reason why they didn't want their fat to be harvested. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. There was a reason why they didn't want their fat to be harvested, and it's because many of them at the time believed in resurrection. So they believed that in the final days of Earth, pretty much on Judgment Day, that your body would be resurrected and you would be judged for your sins. Now, these criminals stated that, hey, I don't want to be resurrected and come back and have like pieces of fat missing off my body. So I don't want my fat to be harvested. And the executioners would usually say, okay, all right, that's fine. But then after they would kill the, the criminal, they didn't care because business was business and they went against their wishes and the executioners still continued to sell fat, blood, 
and other body parts to not only the doctors in the area, but to anyone willing to buy them. Now, this harvesting wasn't just happening to Europeans. It was happening worldwide. For example, in that same time period of the 1500s, the Spanish had sailed across the ocean and started their conquest of the Aztec Empire. During this conquest, one of the soldiers, Bernal Diaz del Castillo, wrote down a very interesting entry in his journal. Castillo stated that following the first battle, he had opened up the body of a plump, slain Indian. He dressed his soldiers' wounds with the dead man's burned fat. Following this, it was recorded that after every battle, the fat of slain Indians were used to heal wounded Spaniards. This ended up becoming a standard medical procedure among the conquistadors. Also, Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes caulked 13 of his boats with the fat of the dead. Now, word of this behavior started to spread amongst the native population in the area, and they were pretty much terrified, stating that the Spanish were monsters. Now, around this time, rumors started to spread of the Spanish exporting entire boats filled with human fat back to Spain for medical purposes. The word of this happening spread so far that individuals in Africa started hearing about it. For example, Africans who had been sold into slavery and then told that they were going to go to America were frightened. And why were they frightened? Well, first of all, they were sold to slavery. But besides that, they had been hearing rumors that their fat and bone marrow would be extracted and melted down to make oil and medicine for the Europeans. That's how far this rumor had spread. And to add even more craziness to all of this, around this same time, thieves in Europe were caught using human fat and body parts for nefarious purposes. For example, many thieves in Europe believed that there was a special candle that, when burned, would make them disappear, pretty much invisible. These thieves go out at night and carrying these special candles with them and rob homeowners while they slept. Now, what was this candle made of? Well, it was a candle made of human fat, or a candle made from the finger of a dead baby. Somehow, when these thieves carried it, the candle from either the human fat or the baby finger, that the illumination that it caused not only illuminated the surrounding areas around them, but it would also cause the thieves to become invisible. This was so common amongst thieves that in the 16th and 17th centuries, several thieves were convicted of murdering people just so they could make these candles. I mean, it's kind of ironic if you think about it. These thieves would be executed and then their own fat would be parceled off to be used for various purposes. Yeah. It's like a cycle. The cycle of life, Simba, they raised the thieves up. And then fat was rubbed across their forehead. No, they would take the sweat off of them after they were dead. And (laughs) check their hemorrhoids. (laughs) Yeah. Now, another thing to mention is that the news of these thieves and the reason why they were killing individuals, you know, because they wanted to make a candle of magic or whatever, this news started to spread. And people started chit-chatting. And then all of a sudden, people started associating human fat not with thieves anymore, but instead with witches. So it went from thieves to witches. Rumors started to spread that witches were stealing fat from humans for various purposes. 
for example, witches would coat their broomsticks with human fat and it would gain them the power of flight. Another example is that witches were using human fat as a key ingredient to create a potion. Now, this potion was then given to their kidnapped victims and it would turn their victims into werewolves that the witch could control. Now, at the time, another popular rumor started to spread around various churches and its members. These church members started to believe that these witches would steal the fat of Christian infants and then use it to make unholy grease for various purposes. Needless to say, there were a lot of strange and odd beliefs around that time. So the use of human fat continued until the mid-18th century. During this period, there was a growing competition between doctors and executioners for access to dead bodies. This resulted in the corpses being taken away from the executioners altogether. They no longer had access to the bodies of the ones that they had executed. Not long after that, medical officials began using animal substances instead, and the use of human fat dwindled dramatically. And that right there is a short history lesson on the use of human fat throughout history. Now, even though for the most part the use of human fat stopped, it did not stop completely because even to this day it is still used for various purposes. For example, in the late 19th century in Germany, human fat was offered under the trade name of Humanol. This Humanol was marketed as a sterile, liquefied preparation for injections. Following that, in 1909, human fat was officially introduced in the medical field and accepted as a surgical treatment of scars, wound disinfection, and wound revisions. However, after 10 years of using this human fat for those various purposes, doctors started to look at the data. They noticed that using human fat as an application was more problematic than helpful, and this was due to its low cure rates and incidences of fat embolisms. Following that, various pharmaceutical companies started experimenting with human fat and what it could be used for. A short time later, two manufacturers produced wrinkle creams. One of the creams was called Hormocenta, made by Hormocenta Cosmetic Butka GmbH. The other cream was called Placentubex C and was made by MERS Pharmaceuticals. Now, these wrinkle creams contained human fat from placentas collected from midwives or various pregnancy departments. These products were sold until the 1960s when the use of human placentas was terminated in favor of animal products. Now, human fat has been used in other various applications, and even used by artists to make soap, surgeons to make biodiesel, and many other things, which we are going to discuss more in depth in our next section. But that right there is the entire history of human fat harvesting, and just like every week, while we were researching this topic, we ended up coming across multiple strange facts and findings. And that is what we are going to get into next, our strange facts and findings section. So the first strange fact and finding that we're going to discuss is another case. Now, as we were researching this topic, we stumbled upon another modern case, similar to the 2009 one that we discussed at the start of the episode of an individual harvesting human fat. So this case involves an individual named Manuel Blanco Romansanta. Now, Manuel was born on November 18, 1809 in Spain. 
And a little knowledge nugget about Manuel is that when he was born, the doctors told his family that he was a female. So his family initially named him Emanuela. Now he was raised as a girl until the age of six when his family took him back to the doctors and they said, eh, our bad. He's actually a male. He's not a female. He's got a dick. <laughs> his family was like, whoa. So two years later, when he was eight years old, his family changed his name from Manuela to Manuel. And that's just a little knowledge nugget for you. Might have been unnecessary, but I thought it was a good ad. I mean, that's a... He was a very feminine individual, by the way. And supposedly he was only like four foot nine or four foot 11. But he was biologically born as a male, but apparently had a really small wiener if they couldn't identify him as a male. Good job for having a small weenie. All right, so let's continue on with Manuel. Yeah, that knowledge nugget threw me off. Actually, we're going to call him Blanco from now on. Blanco? Blanco. Now, Blanco's family was pretty wealthy, and he was able to learn how to read and write. As an adult, he worked as a dressmaker and eventually got married. However, that did not last long, and his wife ended up passing away only a year later. And just an FYI, he was not suspected of having a hand in her death. So after Blanco's wife died in 1833, he ended up becoming a traveling salesman. During this same time, Blanco was known to act as a guide for travelers crossing certain mountains in the area. So travelers would come there and be like, hey, I want to climb some mountains and shit and go to another area, but I don't know how to do it. Blanco would walk up to him and they'd be like, oh, hello there, little gnome. And he'd say, I know the areas also well. I can show you around. And he would take the people to the next area that they wanted to go. So 10 years later, in 1844, Blanco purchased some merchandise from a supplier. An individual named Vicente Fernandez met up with Blanco to collect the debt from him from the previously purchased merchandise. However, a short time later, Vicente was found dead and Blanco was charged with murder. Following this, Blanco failed to appear in court and was automatically judged as guilty by default and sentenced to 10 years of imprisonment. Upon hearing that, Blanco said, fuck that, and fled to Portugal. For almost a year, he lived hiding in an abandoned shelter there in Portugal. Eventually, Blanco left the shelter and started appearing in public again. Individuals started to question him and be like, hey, aren't you Blanco, the dude wanted for murder in Spain? Blanco would tell the individual that he was not Blanco. He would then show the individuals a fake passport and say that his name is Antonio Gomez and he was born in Portugal. And for some odd reason, individuals believed him and Blanco went back to living a normal life, but under the name of Antonio. So Blanco, aka Antonio, he began to work as a cook in the area and as a weaver making yarn on a giant spinning wheel. Over the following years, several women and children would hire Blanco as a guide, just like he had previously done years prior. However, these women and children who hired him began to disappear. Initially, it wasn't a big deal, and the families of the individuals, they weren't suspicious. And this was all due to letters that Blanco had delivered to the families. So once the individual hired Blanco as a guide, the individual would then go missing, and then right afterwards, Blanco would go to the family of that individual and give them a letter. This letter told the family that the individual had arrived well at their destinations and were settling in. 
So like we stated, the families had no reason to suspect anything. However, people started to become suspicious when they noticed that Blanco was selling the clothes of the individuals who went missing, which they didn't know were missing at the time, and just assumed that, hey, they supposedly moved to a different area. They were like, hey, why are you selling my, uh, my friend's clothes or my loved one's clothes? I thought they lived somewhere else. Oh, they left it with me. Ugh. Yeah. So suspicions and rumors started to grow in the area. And around this same time, additional rumors started to spread that the soap that Blanco had been selling was made from human fat. And this human fat was taken from the people who had disappeared. Eventually, in 1852, a complaint was filed in the city alleging that Blanco deceived women and children into traveling with him so that he could kill them and remove their fat, which he then sold. Due to this, Blanco was arrested in September of 1852 and was brought to trial. During the court hearing, Blanco admitted to 13 murders. But in his defense, he stated that he had been cursed and had committed these murders only after transforming into a wolf. Okay. He's damn Jacob. Damn. Now, we do have a quote straight from Blanco during the trial, and we're going to read that word for word. So Blanco stated, and we quote, The first time I transformed was in the mountains of Cuso. I came across two ferocious-looking wolves. I suddenly fell to the ground and began to feel convulsions. I rolled over three times. A few seconds later, I was a wolf. I was out marauding with the other two for five days until I returned to my own body, the one you see before you today, Your Honor. The other two wolves came with me, who I thought were also wolves changed into human form. They were from Valencia. One was called Antonio, and the other called Don Gennaro. They too were cursed. We attacked and ate a number of people because we were hungry. End quote. Now, once Blanco made this statement, the prosecutor said, hey, why don't you demonstrate to the court you transformed into a wolf? We want to see it. Do it right now. Transform. Blanco looked at him and said, hey, this curse, it only lasted for 13 years. And guess what? As of last week, it ended. Last week was the 13-year mark. And I'm cured completely, so I can't turn into a wolf anymore. So following this, various doctors presented the court with a report on Blanco. Now, of course, this report accused him of lying about being cursed and that he was never actually a wolf. At the end of the trial, the court acquitted Blanco of four of the murders he had confessed to. This was due to evidence that indicated that the victims had died from real wolf attacks. However, Blanco was found guilty of the other nine murders. On April 6, 1853, Blanco was sentenced to death and compensation had to be paid for each victim. Manuel Blanco Romansanta was Spain's first recorded serial killer and actually earned the nickname of the Tallow Man, which he earned that nickname due to him using his victim's fat to make high-quality soap. So there you go. That right there is our first strange fact and finding. And by the way, they aren't sure if he was actually executed for his crimes because he was sentenced to death. And then after that, transferred to another facility, and then the paperwork stopped. 
and they don't know what happened to him. I bet they started doing experiments on him. That, or he transformed into a werewolf and ran off into the forest. Oh. <laughs> uh, I want your fat. Let me suck your dick. <laughs> I'm going to make some soap out of you. All right. So let's get on to our next strange fact and finding, which I'm very interested in, Dan. So our next strange fact and finding is about cellulite. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. This is our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right. Welcome back. Cellulite is the skin dimpling and lumpiness seen on the skin surface of thighs, buttocks, and abdomen areas that occur mostly in women, which it still can occur in men, just not as often. This is due to fatty protrusions into the dermis layer of the skin. It doesn't cause any physical harm whatsoever, but most beauty standards make it seem embarrassing to have. So where am I going with this? Well, in our search of human fat trafficking, we stumbled upon an article about cellulite and it not being a real thing. What do you mean not being a real thing? I've seen cellulite before. Now, visually, yes, it's real. So there is the subcutaneous and fibrous fat underneath the skin. That is a fact. Now, some people do have dimpled or lumpy, bumpy skin, which that visually exists. But there was no word to describe it until 1968. So what did they just call it? Bumpy skin? There was no word for it. Just like, oh, your skin looks a little lumpy. Dimpled. You got a little lumpy ass on you, don't you? Yeah. Well, thank you. Your thighs, they're lumpy. I like that. Nice. Now, it was in April of 1968 that Vogue magazine would be the first to print this new term of cellulite. And, of course, it would make people hate their bodies even more. Now, with no true possible way to cure or get rid of cellulite, it has become one of the most untreatable conditions, even though there are tons of beauty products for it, anti-cellulite creams and such. Embrace it, man. It's part of life. It's part of the human body. It's beautiful. You're beautiful. That's right. Now, where did Vogue get this word from that just came out of nowhere? In 1873, Dr. Emil Littry and Charles Felipe Robin included the word cellulite in the 12th edition of the Dictionnaire de Medicine. The Dictionary of Medicine. Yeah. Now, this original... <laughs> American, Dan. Oh. Now, the original definition of cellulite had nothing to do with dimples or fat, but it was a general term applied to cells or tissues in the state of inflammation or infection. It was to be closely related to cellulitis, which is a diagnosis still used today and was primarily used when referring to pelvic infections. Ugh. Now, somehow, though, cellulite made the jump from the medical textbooks to the mainstream beauty scene. They believe the true meaning of cellulite lost its way due to the rapid advancement of medical technology and the beauty industry in France during the interwars. In the late 1890s, some of France's beauty institutes would open, and then after the war, more institutes would open, and then just more and more, and they just kept opening up. They weren't stopping. It was a freaking carnival of beauty institutes. It really was. Everywhere. Now, with each one of these institutes opening up, they would introduce specialists, estheticians, chemists, and doctors into their employment, creating new top-of-the-line products that mixed beauty, science, medicine, and health all into one. So what does it have to do with human trafficking? Well, like we mentioned in 2009, human fat was supposedly being sold to European countries about three decades ago. But what if it started a little bit further back? 
This led me to think about the other ways to get fat other than melting it, you know, using candles underneath torsos. And what's the number one way to get rid of fat these days? If you had the money. Uh, you don't eat. You go into ketosis and your body starts burning fat reserves. Well, I guess you do have to have money because keto diet is kind of expensive at times. Or you just don't eat. Or you just don't eat. Another way is liposuction. You'll get that stuff sucked right out of you. Liposuction. That's the number one way, it seems. Really? Yeah. Damn, that seems dangerous. So, I know a little bit about liposuction. Never had it done, okay? But I know about its roots. The roots of liposuction can be traced all the way back to around the 1920s. French surgeon Charles Dujarrier, he introduced the concept of body contouring and fat removal. Now, at the time, the techniques he had were pretty primitive, and they weren't so good. Sometimes, when he tried to remove fat from people, they'd end up getting gangrene and they would die. Now, two doctors in 1974 came along, and they developed the blunt tunneling technique which is what modern liposuction evolved from. Then liposuction became popular in 1982 when a French surgeon presented his new method, deemed the Elouse method, which demonstrated a suction-assisted method for removing fat cells. It involved the use of cannulas to inject fluid into tissue to break up the fat deposits, which were then removed using the suction device. From then on, the method just improved, and with positive results and no more gangrene or deaths happening. So it just led me to believe that these two could go hand in hand. It all started in France. You know, you got Vogue magazine coming up with this term of cellulite, making people feel like, oh, now I got fatty legs, stomach. I'm not beautiful anymore. I'm not beautiful anymore. Then all of a sudden you got liposuction in the picture. They do liposuction, boom, now you got human fat. These cosmetic companies are just like, give me the fat, give me the fat. Making beauty products to now sell back to the people that don't feel beautiful. It's kind of like a, Strange fact into a theory, but... It's good. I like it. I mean, it. Vogue magazine's the one that came up with the term cellulite. Yeah. It had nothing to do with, you know, fat or anything like that. It was a medical term that changed definitions through the beauty industry. Damn. Well, there you go. That right there is our second strange fact and finding. Now, let's get into our next strange fact and finding, which is about a Miami artist back in 2013. Miami again. Damn Miami people. <laughs> Just like last week's episode, the Miami Zombies. But this time it ain't zombies. This is about a Miami-based performance artist named Arrestus De La Paz. And they decided to try some new art. De La Paz underwent a liposuction procedure in December of 2022 and decided to turn the removed fat into soap to prevent it from going rancid. The idea of this came to him while working on his art thesis and realizing that, and I quote, clients are willing to try anything to feel and look beautiful, even to the extent of buying products with human elements in them. Now, De La Plaza mostly just wanted to keep the fat, make it into an acrylic memoir, but the doctor told him that he needed to use the fat in another way or it would go rancid. Then De La Plaza remembered that soap was made from fat, and he thought to himself that many people see fat as dirty and repulsive. So what if he was able to change that into something that was cleansing and potentially had healing properties? The phrase that came to mind for him was cleanliness is next to godliness. So he's like cleaning the outside of the body with something from the inside would be a way of putting something, you know, people are ashamed of to good use. 
So for $1,000 a bar, Jesus, how big is, hold on, how big is this bar of soap for $1,000? That's it? Like a bar of ivory soap size? Just a regular bar of soap? That's what I'm assuming. For a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks. Go get de Laplace. God dang, that's crazy. Yeah, he was selling the soap for a thousand bucks a bar. But if you wanted to try it back in 2013, his soap art was displayed at the Miami's Frost Museum, where you could have gone and used his soap to wash your hands. How much you got to pay? Suppose, I guess you just have to pay to get into the museum. For a thousand bucks a freaking bar, people are going to start jacking that soap. Or maybe, did they jack the soap? No, I don't think so. There had to be a limited supply because, I mean, he did liposuction once. Mm. The people that did try this soap, though, they said that their hands never felt so soft before. Would you try it? I don't think I could. I'd be scared. I got some cuts on my fingers. And that's the thing right there is... I don't want to get no mesothelioma. (laughs) I don't want to get no diabetes from it. (laughs) I don't want to get nothing like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Which, after reading that, it actually led me to a more recent story of someone using human fat to make soap and showcasing it in a museum and then selling it. Which was back in 2019, a Dutch artist, Julian Hetzel, asked liposuction patients to donate their fat to his project, which he would use to make soap and then stamp it with the logo SELF, S-E-L-F, and he was selling these bars for 35 bucks a pop. See, that's uh, still a steep price for a bar of soap, 35 bucks. A little crazy. Actually, a lot of crazy. I can go get one for like 69 cents down at whatever. But 35 bucks a pop is a lot better than a thousand bucks a bar. Yeah, someone uh, overpriced their fat uh, quality, I guess. Inflation. Inflation. <laughs> but yeah, supposedly they were using fat to make soap as art, but that they were selling it. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I don't know. I just know it's weird and sickening. Because I thought you couldn't use like human medical waste like that because of products well if it's considered an art project then maybe that's some kind of loophole i think it's a loophole if anyone out there knows the laws about the use of human uh what would they be called human body parts in products this would be called human medical waste because it's human fat that was liposucked oh yeah if anyone is a expert in those laws about human medical waste being used in products Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. If you or a loved one have washed your hands with human fat soap, send us an email. Let us know how it went. I've used soap with uh, goat milk. I just use plain soap. I bought a random bar of soap and I was like, yeah, go ahead, use it. I used to be allergic to soap. I used to break out every time I used it and then it just stopped. I guess I built up a tolerance. I don't know. Deodorant? Deodorant. I had an uh, uh, allergy to certain deodorants. Like I would put it on. And then I would feel a burning sensation and then I'd have to go wash it off and it would like activate it even more. And I'd have to like scrub it, scrub it, scrub it off. And then the next day it would be really red. And then the day after my skin would start peeling all around it. And like around here I'd have my, it'd be like sunburned right there is what it felt like. And all my skin would be peeled. It was a chemical burn in my armpits from certain deodorants. I haven't gotten it in a really long time though. That happened to me with, uh, Old Spice. That's why I never use Old Spice. I use Right Guard. Right now, I'm going through multiple deodorants trying to see which one I actually really like. Yeah. I don't like the top brand ones. If y'all have any uh, deodorant suggestions, send us an email. Aluminum free, if possible. 
I don't give a shit at this moment. As long as it doesn't make me have any chemical burns, I'm cool with it. I just remember the new one I tried. It was in the living room. We were just like, someone eating fruit. The one I got was an orange like tangerine. <laughs> I'm just like, no. Oh, it was man. a random one I bought. I'm sorry. Smelled good, though. Smells good, yeah. All right, so let's get into our next strange fact and finding, which is called Fat Too Fast. All right, so I thought the name was funny because it's probably not what you think. You know, losing weight makes you run faster physically, but that's not the case in this one. So if you didn't know, some livestock companies would liquefy animal fat and use it as biodiesel fuel. This augments their fuel supply and eliminates waste. So, you know, they just pretty much reuse everything. Which is good. Yeah. What about human fat, though? Can they use that as biofuel? Well, yes, they can. So former Beverly Hills cosmetic doctor Craig Allen Bittner, he was actually using the fat he extracted from his patients to fuel his Ford SUV and his girlfriend's Navigator. He even has a website talking about this called lipodiesel.com. And on that website, he writes, The cast majority of my patients request that I use their fat for fuel, and I have more fat than I can use. Not only do they get to lose their love handles or chubby belly, but they get to take part in saving the earth. Now, the doctor never shares this biofuel that is made from human fat. He just uses it for his own personal vehicles. However, it is illegal to use human medical waste to power anything in the United States. So I guess he didn't read up on that law. Yeah, so no one knew how long he was doing this for until some of his patients filed lawsuits against him, alleging that Dr. Bittner, Craig, was actually letting his girlfriend and assistants perform surgeries on patients. The patients complained that the assistant was not only unqualified, but at times they would remove excess fat from their bodies, leaving them disfigured. So Dr. Bittner, aka Dr. Craig, ended up closing his practice and supposedly fled to South America, where we can only assume that he is there to avoid his lawsuits. Now, some say that they aren't sure of this being 100% factual, but we did find that he had a bunch of lawsuits against him, and we actually found a document signed by Dr. Bittner, aka Dr. Craig, with the medical board, and uh, it states that, you know, he lost his license to practice. So, that sucks. Yeah, I did find that document and had his signature of him losing his license and everything. All that money for college down the drain. Yep. Now, that was back in 2000 to 2009, but I did find that this was actually done in 2007. In 2007, an eco-boat called the Earth Race broke records by speeding around the Earth in under 61 days. Now, sure, that's a cool feat and whatnot, but what supposedly made it even cooler was that it was partially powered by human fat. Three members of the Earth Race crew had underwent liposuction for the challenge, and they used their combined 2.5 gallons of human fat, which they were able to turn into two gallons of fuel, which was enough to last them nine miles out of their 27,600-mile journey. Wait, what? It was a 27,600-mile journey, and the two gallons of human fat only lasted them nine miles? Just nine miles. They can't say that it was partially fueled by human fat. It ran for nine miles, so it was partially fueled. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I thought that was a very interesting find. I did not know that they have already turned human fat into friggin' fuel. 
Yeah. It makes me wonder. Now, I don't know much about the medical world, hardly anything, to be completely honest. However, when surgeons are doing surgeries and they use like the cauterizing tool that burns fat and skin or whatever. Mm -hmm. So when you burn that, the stuff becomes an aerosol, right? Goes up in the air. And that's why you can smell it because it's small particles going into your nose and you can smell it. So you're sniffing whatever it is. So like when I fart, you're having shit particles go up in your nose and that's why you smell it. Yeah. I wonder if, I don't know. They're inhaling fat cells. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, what would that do to somebody? If you're a medical doctor, send us an email. From what they thought in the back of the day, it healed you. So they're living an infinite life of fat cells. Damn reptilians. Reptilians. All right. So let's get into our next strange fact and finding, which is about how they are transforming fat cells into stem cells so that they could use those to repair spinal disc injuries. So back in 2016, a research paper was published that stated that researchers at the National Academy of Sciences had developed a stem cell technique capable of regenerating any human tissue damage by injury, disease, or aging. Now, I was going to get very scientific here. I tried to break it down. Nice. Dr. Dan. This new technique reprograms bone and fat cells into induced multipotent stem cells, IMS, which has successfully repaired bones and muscles in mice. Of course, using stem cells to repair damaged tissue is not a new concept. People who receive bone marrow transplants, they in fact receive blood stem cells to rescue their blood production. Bone marrow is easy to extract and blood is constantly replaced. And that way, blood stem cells are relatively easy to source. Now, if you wanted to repair damaged muscle, cartilage, or organs, such as the heart or brain, well, the stem cells needed for that are not easily extracted and the turnover for it is low. So with the turnover being low, another option that came up is programming mature cells from other parts of the body that are relatively easy to extract. This new developed method converts fatter bone cells, which are easily extracted, into induced multipotent stem cells. They would use a drug called azacitidine and a naturally occurring growth factor called the platelet-derived growth factor. Azacitidine is used to treat blood disorders and has the ability to relax the hardwired gene expression patterns that make a fat cell a fat cell or a bone cell a bone cell. So pretty much this drug erases the cell's memory and then forces the cell to multiply rapidly, converting fat and bone cells into IMS, which is the multipotent stem cells. They injected these stem cells into the mice with damaged bones and muscles, you know, pretty much injured mice, and they got astounding results from it. The ability of these stem cells regenerate the damaged bone and muscle and were able to generate their own blood supply to carry nutrients to the new tissues. So they wanted to begin human testing the following year, but as much as I looked, I couldn't find any papers on it to see whether or not they started, which I'm pretty damn sure they did. Politicians are hugely against stem cell research. So they probably stopped it. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the fact that I'm not saying this like this is a good thing or not, but this seems like a good thing. It is. It's able to regenerate, you know, parts of the brain, heart, stuff like that. I mean, I think stem cell research should be funded 
and they should look into it more because I think it would help out a lot of people. But they want to keep us sick and down in the dirt. Yeah, because, I mean, this would help out tons of people. It's just... <sighs> They're just always trying to keep us down. Yeah, something's stalling this because I, I wasn't able to find any papers on it to see whether or not they started human testing, which, I mean, I don't really like human testing, but shit, this could be helpful. So that right there is the strange fact and finding about stem cells and how human fat is revolutionizing the stem cell industry. So let's get on to our last strange fact and finding, which is called Pish Taco. I know that sounds very weird. It's spelled P-I-S-H-T-A-C-O, and it is pronounced Pish Taco. Now, what is a Pish Taco? Well, it is a mythological boogeyman figure in South America, particularly in Peru and Bolivia. According to folklore, a Pish Taco is an evil humanoid creature often a foreigner and often a white man, who is shown as extremely pale, hyper-masculine, and sometimes brandishing modern technology of the time. This individual seeks out unsuspecting natives to kill them and abuse them in many ways. Primarily, his method of killing is stealing his victim's body fat for various cannibalistic purposes or cutting them up and selling their flesh as fried chicharrones. I like chicharrones. They are pretty good. Now, if you all remember our history section, the Spanish conquistadors, you know, they would cut out the fat from the people they would kill and they would use it for various purposes. We talked about that. Well, the natives in South America, like we stated, they witnessed this and they were horrified of the Spanish. They were like, damn, these motherfuckers are crazy. Now, this fear has lasted throughout the years, even to modern times. For example, the natives fear that the missionaries who come there are actually pish tacos, and they want to kill their people to get fat to grease their church bells. So if a missionary goes there, more than likely they'll be like, that's a pish taco. They're going to kill us, use our fat to grease the church bells. That's literally one of their beliefs. They believe that they grease the church bells with human fat and it rings louder. Another thing is that international assistance programs like the U.S. Food for Peace have been rejected by multiple Native communities in the area. This is due to the fear that these programs want to fatten their children so that they could exploit them for their fat. So it's not just missionaries or assistant workers who have been blamed. Even survey geologists, anthropologists, and other various individuals and corporations were labeled as pishtacos by the Natives. Oh yeah, everyone's getting that label if you're not from there. Mm. Also. Another common belief by the natives in the area is that there is a dangerous and powerful white man who is part of the CIA, who is kidnapping their children for testing and experimentation purposes. And that is a common belief between the natives there. But ultimately, there is no solid proof of that happening. It's just a theory. And speaking of theories... Since we are now done with strange facts and findings, let's get into our next section in which we discuss the theories surrounding this entire thing. Ooh. So, Dan, do you want to start that off for us and tell us about our first theory? So the first theory that we have is called PR hoax. European cosmetics or research labs usually obtain fat from hospitals that, you know, don't need the amount that they, you know, acquired. So they have more excess, so they sell off 
the extra fat. So why would companies or labs need to pay huge amounts to a middleman to buy from a gang from Peru? Like the article stated in 2009. Correct. Now, as I was reading through a bunch of websites and articles and such, one person suggested that this is all a hoax by the tourism to discourage overweight tourists from visiting their country. But I believe after hearing that last strange fact, it could also discourage the white man, I guess, or missionaries or companies and all that from visiting Peru to get the fat from their kids or them to use. It's super bad. There was a story of a woman in 1994, I believe, or 96. I think it was 94. Don't quote me on the year, okay? Is either or. Doesn't really matter. It was one of those years, okay? She went over there as a missionary, was walking through the city, came across a group of kids, said hi to them. Group of kids were terrified, ran away from her. Another individual in the town that was out attending their garden witnessed this. Of course, this missionary stuck out like a sore thumb. It was an average middle-aged white woman, you know, trying to spread Christianity. Well, after that person attending their garden or whatever witnessed this woman talking to these kids and the kids running away, that native started telling other members of the community and it spread. The members of the community went and told the police and the police went and said, okay, well, we're going to go see if she's actually trying to take your kids because they thought she was a fish taco. But before the police could get to her, the natives all gathered around and beat the shit out of her and killed her. Damn. They continued to beat her and beat her and beat her. And then the police were able to actually get the natives to like separate. And by that time she was just, it was too late. Yeah. And that is a fairly common thing that happens. Apparently that's horrible. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was that theory. Let's get into the next one. So this next theory is called government created monster, AKA wag the dog. Oh, so this theory states that in the 2009 press conference, The Peruvian police stated that over 60 people that year had gone missing and were victims of this human fat harvesting, like we previously stated. However, the police only presented evidence of one individual dying from it, which is the photograph of the one single rotting head. Now, after this press conference, the families of those 60 missing people, you know, because the police stated in the press conference that, oh, these 60 missing people in the area were taken out of the forest and their fat was harvested. The families didn't know this. Their loved ones were still missing and they had not been updated. So after they had heard this statement from the police, they started to ask them questions about like, hey, well, do you have their body? Can we bury them? Stuff like that. The police ignored them. After a while of the police just ignoring them, the families got together and started to demand an investigation into this entire thing. So this theory states, what if the police or state officials executed citizens who went against the political agenda? This entire story of a gang doing these killings and harvesting their fat was actually all made up by the Peruvian police as a way to cover up their violence that they had done and that they're actually the ones who killed the people. All right. So as you were reading that one, I was just like, I wonder if there was any like political crisis that actually happened in 2009. And supposedly there was 2009 Peruvian political crisis. 
resulted from the ongoing opposition to oil development in the Peruvian Amazon by local indigenous peoples. They protested uh, Petro Peru and confronted the national police. It was in June of 2009 the Garcia government suspended civil liberties, declared a state of emergency, and sent in the military to stop the protests. The military intervention, referred to as the Baguazo, resulted in two days of bloody confrontations, resulting in a total of 23 police deaths, 10 native civilian deaths, and more than 150 native wounded. So you think that maybe a few weeks after that, the police and state officials or maybe a corporation got revenge? Yeah, or hired the... Hold on, how many police died? 10? 23 police died. 23? And 10 civilians died. Okay, so yeah, probably the police got their revenge like a month or two later, and then all those bodies that they had killed, they blamed it on the gangs there in the Amazon. Mm. That's a good theory. When? uh... So the political thing happened in the summer, and then the press conference happened in November of 2009. So it lines up and fits. It fits. Yeah. 23 policemen dead, one policeman missing, 10 civilians dead, 155 wounded, and 72 captured. Captured? And 60 were missing. Damn. Solving shit out here. We don't need no Austin library anyways. Yeah. He didn't have much of shit anyways. I'm just kidding. All right, Dan, so tell us about this next theory we got. All right, so this next theory that we have is called Real. This theory states that the human fat harvesting is real and the reports of individuals being murdered and their fat being harvested is not being told to the public and intentionally silenced. Now, why would this be happening? Well, there are a lot of options. It could be that the elite reptilian lizard people feast on this fat or that the things that we call aliens feast on our fat or human fat is used for various ritual purposes at Bohemian Grove and you know other elite ritual parties. Maybe cosmetic companies just want to make better products. Softer soap, make your hands all nice and soft. Maybe they want the makeup to heal you. Who knows? The options for it are endless, obviously. Yeah. And there's one thing that stood out that you showed me the other day, which was that video of Steve Harvey. Oh, God. The, so I stumbled upon a video. This was, I don't forgot when this happened, but there was a lady on there showcasing part of Oprah's line of beauty products. On the Steve Harvey show. Yeah, for uh, anti-recoil cream. And it was like a red liquid. She like poured it into his hand and he's just like, what is this? Why is it red? She's just like, no, don't worry. He starts rubbing it into his hand and he's just like, well, look at that. The wrinkles are like just disappearing. Yeah. The wrinkles went away in his hand. He's like, wow, that's amazing. And then she told him what was in it. And like, she started listing off things. And then she was just like, it was uh, infant foreskins. Steve Harvey was like, wait, what? Did you just say the foreskin of infants? Yeah. He's like, you're rubbing the foreskin of people on my hand. Like, what the hell? And, like, he just, like, stood there in shock. She was dead serious, too. And that was part of Oprah's line of cosmetics. Yeah, and they thought that was perfectly fine. And you come to find out, foreskins, stuff like that, semen, they're using a lot of beauty products. Mm-hmm. Jizzing everywhere, man. Wasn't there a uh, rumor when Red Bull first came out that bull semen was used in Red Bull? I have never heard that rumor before in my life. We're going to get sued by Red Bull if you say that. I am dead serious. Oh, my God. You got me typing Red Bull semen. Is taurine made from bull's testicles? <laughs> Fact check. Red Bull does not contain bull semen. <laughs> see, see, okay. Y- you're so right. It was a rumor. That's why I said it was a rumor. Okay, so they're saying taurine is made from bull semen. While it is true that taurine was originally isolated from bull semen, it is now produced synthetically. Damn, out there drinking semen for energy. So it's like Coca-Cola with real coke in it before but now it's not yeah so 
Red Bull and Monster had bull semen in it. Could have, possibly. Yeah, could have, but it's got synthetic bull semen now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's get into our last theory that we have, which is called drug cartel. Now, this theory states that officials in Peru were starting to come down hard on the Peruvian police for not doing anything about the drug cartels in the area. And this was before the press conference, so like the summer of 2009. Now, these drug cartels then started murdering people, but the police couldn't place the blame on them, on the drug cartels. It would only give them more heat from the locals saying, hey, see, y'all suck at handling the gangs around here. So instead, the human fat harvesting gang is a cover-up story, and in reality, it is just a drug-dealing gang that is killing people, and the police are having a hard time controlling it. So in reality, the human fat harvesting, according to this theory, is completely made up. And what is really happening is that it's just individuals who are a part of a drug cartel that are killing people in the jungle after they help them make their drugs. The police can't control it, or they allow it, and uh, they came up with this cover story to kind of help the gangs out with their drug stuff. So it was saying that these gang murders were happening in, what, a coca valley? Coca valley, yeah. And coca plants. Coca plants, and the coca leaf is the raw material for the manufacture of cocaine. Yep. I mean... That theory could fit. It could fit. Yeah. Honestly, I... Did not think about the coca leaf and cocaine and drugs in that one. Yep. All right. Well, that is the end of our theories. Now we're going to get into our own personal thoughts and theories about this entire topic today. Do you want me to go first or you to go first? I want you to go first. What do you believe about this whole thing? The 2009 Peruvian gang fat harvesting. Is that really happening? Is it a cover up? All right. Before I tell you what I believe, I'm going to tell you what I stumbled upon during my research. All right. So as I was looking through the interwebs and looking for additional articles about that press conference, I kept scrolling and scrolling, and almost all the news articles were from November of 2009. And they all stated the same thing, that, hey, there's this Peruvian gang and the police have stopped them from human fat harvesting. However, after I scrolled through a few pages, I stumbled upon an article written a month later by the website Independent. Now, this article had the headline of Peru's human fat killers were invented to cover up deaths. Police may have made up the story to divert attention from unlawful killings. Now, the article states that Peru's police chief was forced to fire his top organized crime investigator due to growing evidence that he and several colleagues deliberately invented the elaborate story to cover up evidence of officers being involved in dozens of unlawful killings. Now, politicians in the area who initially stated that the story was fake, so there was a lot of politicians in the area whenever the story came out about human fat harvesting, these politicians were like, it's fake. There's no medical uses for it, blah, 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 blah. Well, they came out again and said that due to the crime investigator being fired, that they believe, as in the politicians, 
that the police invented the story to divert attention from allegations that officers had killed various individuals in nearby towns and forests. Now, former Deputy Interior Minister stated, My hypothesis is that they were mainly trying to cover up their crimes. And that was the end of the article, which was very confusing because they didn't have any proof. This article just stated, oh, the crime investigator for the Peruvian police department was fired by the police chief. That must mean the entire article that was released the month prior, it was all just a cover up. It was just politicians pushing an agenda, which makes me wonder what's actually going on over there. I don't know if there's human fat being harvested and sold to top cosmetic companies or top research and pharmaceutical companies. So what do I believe? If I have to select one thing, it would probably be that there was indeed individuals killing people in the jungle and harvesting their fat only because of multiple other stories of this happening, especially that one Ibadan house of horrors that we read about and we're going to do a story over. And then all the other stories we covered about the, uh, the body trade, how people in the United States are purchasing body parts from medical centers or funeral homes and then cutting up the bodies and selling them to the army or other people. So I think this human fat harvesting is really happening. For what reason? I think it has multiple purposes. So yeah, that's what I believe. What about you, Dan? What's your belief behind this entire thing? I don't know. After hearing the theories and hearing more of the strange facts and all that, I'm stuck between believing if there is a human fat trafficking. Because like you said, when you were searching up, like we were searching up this topic, the only article was the 2009 thing. But then after that, all of it was just human trafficking. So it's hard to really find anything about human fat trafficking other than that article from Peru. And it's almost like I do want to believe that there is fat harvesting going on, but it's only part of a smaller thing. So like human trafficking, either they're selling somebody as a whole or they're selling parts of them. I think selling parts, their organs and all that stuff too. Yeah, I think they're selling the organs, the fat. I mean, they're just trying to make as much profit off a body that they can. Money rules everything. Honestly, I think the police chief investigator being fired could be for the fact that he can't stop it. Yeah. And they needed someone to blame it on. Like, all right, we're firing you. Probably promote someone else to see if they can do a better job. Scapegoat. Yep. All right. Well, if you or a loved one have had your fat harvested in the jungles of Peru, send us an email to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We would love to hear from you. That's right. With that being said, this is the end of today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. And if for some odd reason you can't get enough of us, you can head over to our Patreon or go to Spotify, open the app, search us up on Spotify, and then click on the Patreon-exclusive episodes on Spotify for our Patreon-exclusive episodes. And for five bucks a month, you get access to all those we got a shit ton there for you to listen to. That's right. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. Oh.